Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities. Kentucky Humanities is celebrating our 50th anniversary. In February 1972, five Kentuckians visited Washington for a briefing on a new National Endowment for the Humanities program. Congress had instructed NEH to set up state-based affiliates to support humanities projects at a local level. Within two months, these five had established a 15-member board of directors and a two-person staff housed in offices donated by the University of Kentucky. Now it's time to celebrate 50 years of telling Kentucky's story. Our anniversary committee has been planning the celebration for more than a year, and for all of the details on what's coming up, please go to our website, kyhumanities.org, and find out everything, including we hope you'll join the celebration throughout the year with six regional anniversary events. The first one coming up on February the 8th in Pikeville at the University of Pikeville with the noted columnist, uh, opinion maker, a public intellectual, David Brooks. It's a free event, but you do have to register. That's February the 8th. Again, details at kyhumanities.org. But there's so much more happening this year. Uh, Visit our social media channels uh, for our Uh, And our website, by the way, again, our website, uh, each Monday for our 50 Faces of Humanities to hear from some people who uh, support Kentucky Humanities. Check out our spring and fall issues of Kentucky Humanities Magazine dedicated to our 50th anniversary. Follow us on Instagram at KY Humanities as college students from across the Commonwealth take over sharing humanities happenings at their institutions. Invest in our celebration by making a contribution with, of course, $50 for our 50th anniversary. So we look forward to continuing telling Kentucky's story for the next 50 years, and we want you to join us uh, this year. And at the same time, we're going to hopefully be bringing you some interesting podcasts and some new podcast guests And as I mentioned, our first anniversary event is in Pikeville at the University of Pikeville with the columnist, uh, New York Times bestselling author, David Brooks. And once again, details at kyhumanities.org. At the University of Pikeville, we're going to be visiting a new friend. Burton Webb is the president there. Dr. Webb was born and raised on a small farm in central Michigan, the child of teachers. He knew from an early age that education would play a significant role in his life. He attended Olivet Nazarene University, where he studied zoology and chemistry. Dr. Webb holds a master's degree in biology from Ball State University and a Ph.D. in microbiology and immunology from Indiana University School of Medicine. For many years, Dr. Webb invested his life in teaching both undergraduate and graduate students at Indiana Wesleyan University and medical students at IU. In 2010, he accepted that a position of vice president for academic affairs and dean of the faculty at Northwest Nazarene University 
in Nampa, Idaho. Dr. Webb began serving as the University of Pikeville's 21st president in 2016. President Webb, thanks for joining our podcast. Happy to be here. It's always good to talk to another educator. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk some about that, but I want to talk about uh, you and uh, the university. Uh, but I want to begin with your, with your background. If anyone, if any college president in the United States, other than maybe the, uh, the, the chair of a medical school, was in a better position education-wise to understand the pandemic and COVID-19 and all of the uh, science that we've become used to hearing on the nightly news, it might've been you because of uh, that stellar background in the sciences uh, that you uh, really uh, began your, your adult life with. Uh, tell me about uh, the work uh, that you did and, and the background that you bring to uh, the presidency as a scientist. You know, it certainly was fortuitous to have a background in medical immunology when you're heading into a pandemic uh, with an infectious disease. So, you know, I, I went to Ball State University where I hold a master's in uh, both biology and chemistry and then uh, to the Indiana University School of Medicine where I pursued a PhD in microbiology and, and medical immunology. And, you know, from there, I did a fair amount of research, although most of it was in cancer biology. We were interested in and looking at DNA vaccines, uh, my word, this is probably 25 years ago. Uh, at the time, we didn't have a very good stable RNA vaccine vector that's been developed since. So, you know, certainly understanding nucleic acid vaccination and how long that's been around and how well it's been studied has been an asset uh, as I've been working with people and trying to help them understand why this is an effective vaccine and something that we should continue to use. Um, and then, you know, making sure that my people understand the nature of an infectious disease and how that disease changes over time and, you know, what we can do to keep ourselves as safe as possible. Those have been assets. Um, you know, I don't go to CNN for my information. I go to the primary literature. Uh, what was um, in, in your early life, uh, what was your interest in um the science uh, that you studied and and you majored in and, and got your PhD in what did did that start as a as a young person uh, growing up? Yeah, I think so. You know, I've I've been curious my entire life. I've been an active learner uh, in a wide variety of subjects, and I, I continue to be a voracious learner today. Um, but the sciences, I think, represented a challenge. It was a challenging discipline, something that I could sink my teeth into, and then. In the early 1980s, when I chose immunology, you know, that was the time period when HIV was really just being described. Uh, there was an awful lot of research going on into this brand new field that we really knew very little about. Um, I remember when I was teaching primarily, I used to pull out my textbook from my uh, junior year of college for the first immunology course that I took. And the, the entire textbook was this thick. And six years later, when I was in my doctoral work, we were studying one cell type that's a part of the immune system. And I have four three ring binders that are each two and a half inches thick. And, and it just exploded. So, you know, that that uh, satisfies someone's curiosity who is 
nearly insatiable. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed that, you know, and I still do. I still try to read as much of the primary literature as I can. Your uh, parents were teachers. Um, were, were they, uh, what discipline uh, were they teaching in? My dad was an English and social studies teacher and mom was math and biology. Hey, the, uh, at least you're on your dad's side, the, the, the humanities uh, were uh, at the forefront. Um, so out of there, uh, you're growing up with them, uh, teachers, I'm sure you were steeped in, in the kind of learning that you progressed in. And uh, did you ever think at the time uh, when you were still studying or in school and uh, your first positions uh, uh, in immunology, um, did you ever think that you would make the leap to education? Oh, I knew very early in college that I wanted to be somewhere in education. But since my parents were both teachers at the secondary level, I knew that I didn't want it to be in the secondary level. Um, you know, dad was a middle school teacher for 35 years and mom taught in high school for about 10 and then jumped into administration and she was a, a principal uh, in our local high school. So I, I knew that education would be a part of the path. Um, I thought that college would be more interesting to teach in than uh, the public school system. And, you know, for me, that worked out well. And tell me then about uh, your, um, your foray into education and uh, the position that you took um, uh, at the college in Idaho that uh, was your last stop before uh, coming to Kentucky and the University of Pikeville. So tell me about uh, that uh, learning curve and, and what you found uh, by, by going to, the, uh, uh, to Idaho and, and spending some time. So I think the, the pathway starts a little earlier than that in Indiana. You know, I, I got my first full-time teaching job in a liberal arts college uh, in North Central Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan University. And there, you know, I cut my teeth from assistant professor all the way through to dean of the college. So that, you know, I think broadens your base quite a bit. Um, I had to learn the language of the arts and the sciences both the humanities and philosophy and, and engage at all levels with those folks. Uh, and then sometime after about 16 years at that institution, I really felt released to be able to look at other places. And that was a personal decision, not an institutional decision. They, they were uh, really recruiting me into the vice presidency there. And, but I, I wanted an adventure. I wanted to go out West. I wanted to see something different and Northwest Nazarene University provided that opportunity. Uh, it's a fine liberal arts college located just outside Boise uh, in Nampa, Idaho. Um, the learning curve wasn't that steep because I'd been doing so much of the same work. Indiana Wesleyan uh, was nearly 10 times the size of Northwest Nazarene. So, you know, being the dean of the college, I, I was dean of the largest college. We had 187 faculty members, I think, and moving into the chief academic officer's role, I only had 120 faculty members. So, you know, it was a step down in terms of size, but, but complexity, uh, there was more complexity at NNU than there was at IWU because of the breadth of programming that I had to oversee. So um, I, it, it was great. It was a good experience. Um, we had good times there. We had some bad times there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when, when we left there, I think the university was in a better place than when we started. And uh, the opportunity in Kentucky became available. And it was this wonderful mix of, 
you know, medicine and liberal arts and a, burge, a growing optometry program that we had to get off the ground. And so that entrepreneurial um, opportunity, I think, is what really piqued our interest here. Tell me about uh, the transition from uh, from the, the West uh, back to this uh, side of the, the country uh, uh, to uh, the Indiana area, which uh, is Kentucky. Um, and what really attracted you, other than what you've already mentioned, uh, to uh, Pikeville? You know, I think a big part of it was the mix, you know, because for, for the better part of 20 years, I had had a dual appointment at a liberal arts college and a medical school. So um, engaging with both of those populations was something that I was interested in doing. I'm certainly interested in, in growing a new program in optometry. But then as I dug in a little bit to uh, my own personal family history, I had known most of my life that my grandmother was born in Hazard, Kentucky. And as, as we began to really dig into that, her father um, was from Salyersville. And I started looking at Ancestry.com and FamilyTree.com and discovered that my family moved into Pike County in 1777. Um, Sam Porter Jr. is my first antecedent who lived in this county, lived on Johns Creek and raised 21 kids up and down <laughs> oh, that creek between Pike and Floyd counties. So we had been... My family has been in Eastern Kentucky uh, for well over 200 years. Actually, I, I guess 240, 250 years now, we're, we're coming up on that. Um, my great-grandfather moved out during one of the coal busts in the late 30s and took a job with Caterpillar in Northern Indiana. And so his descendants settled in Indiana and Michigan. Uh, but I still have family reunions that get together in Salyersville um, you know, the, all the Salyers and the Arnets and um, the, yeah, they're, they're all family. The Allens, that's the other big group. Yeah. They're all family and they're all over this part of the, the state. Isn't that amazing uh, what you discover um, as you grow and read and, and look in, into your, uh, your past and your ancestry? I mean, when did you first discover that you had those Kentucky roots? Well, like I said, I, I'd known my grandmother was from here and she she moved back here for a short period of time when I was a child. So I remember, and I don't remember exactly where, I think it was around Hazard somewhere, but I'm not sure. I remember visiting Kentucky, um, but you know, it wasn't until I, I took the position that I started to really dig in to what you know, my great grandparents and their uh, ancestors, who they were and where they had settled and where they came from. And like most folks, they're all English and, and Scots, Irish, and, uh, you know, we just settled here mostly coming up out of Virginia, um, like everybody else did. So it's all part of who we discover ourselves to be, I think. Are there still um, parts of your family tree that you are continuing to probe and, and look into? Are, are there some, some, some lost relatives that you're still trying to find? Well, of course, that, that gets interesting, right? So the further back you go, the more sketchy the results become. Uh, so I've, I've gone back, I think, about as far as we can. So we enrolled in uh, 23andMe. And what was there's another one, I think. We did both of the genetic profile uh, things that are out there. And it's interesting. I, I actually see relatives popping up all over Eastern Kentucky as more and more people do that. Um, you know, first cousins, second cousins, third cousins. Um, I actually had one uh, great niece reach out to me who I didn't even know about. 
Um, she, I have an uncle who was sort of the black sheep of the family and he's been married several times and we didn't know all of his kids. And apparently she is the daughter of one of his kids that we didn't know. So, you know, just really interesting, uh, sort of connections. It sounds like, uh, someday you need to be, uh, on, uh, uh, Henry Gates, uh, um, program, uh, roots or, or something like that on, on PBS. Uh, yeah, it is amazing uh, what what you find once you just sort of scratch the surface and and there you are. What uh, give me your impressions of not having been in Kentucky except for a, a visit or two um, uh, visiting when you were a small child. Give me your impressions of uh, leaving Idaho and, and uh, maybe your first visit to to Kentucky to uh, Pikeville to the university. And uh, do you recall what what you were thinking about first impressions of uh, Eastern Kentucky at that time when you were coming back as a, as a professional, uh, as an adult, and someone who was being considered for the presidency? You know, I, I think that one of my first impressions was that there were a lot of opportunities for education here. Um, even though Kentucky is one of the oldest states in, in the U.S., there are still a lot of opportunities for folks um, who have not chosen to continue their education for whatever reason. There are a variety of those. So it was a wonderful place for opportunity to, to be able to facilitate that kind of learning and growth. It was also a great place to learn. Um, you know, we have people who have what, what we like to call mountain wisdom around here, uh, who, who understand the way that people interact with one another, who have stories that need to be captured and, and really exposed to the rest of the world. I think you know, I have a podcast myself that, that I've done for a while that, um, that tries to show the rest of the world that there are great ideas in Appalachia that, that people don't know about that need to be replicated elsewhere because they really do work and they work beyond these mountains. So I think among those impressions were, you know, those, those few things. Some of the other things are more geographic in nature. You know, we moved from a high desert, arid climate that had huge mountains that were vistas on the horizon to an area that is really, you know, a, a low plateau with deep valleys. And, you know, the valleys are very steep. And so we have these 300 to 300 foot, 350 foot ridges around us, but we're really in river valleys. If you get up on top of the mountains, you can see how flat it really is out here. So it's, it's just different, it's interesting, um, it's humid, it rains all the time. I'm in a rainforest out here, which is a little bit different, but you know, it's all part of life, living in different places and learning new things. It does amuse me at times when uh, the weather people in Lexington refer to uh, a weather forecast and uh, what's happening in the mountains in Eastern Kentucky. And, and I know they are uh, considered to be that, but I've, uh, I've been to Idaho and I've been to Boise to do some uh, backpacking, hiking and climbing and um, I, uh, anywhere out there, Colorado, Washington State, uh, Idaho, uh, th those are real mountains. And uh, so I'm just a bit yeah. amused uh, about that, but that's okay. I mean, it is. Uh, these are real mountains too. They're just older. And so yeah. they've been worn down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Well, let me ask you uh, just to kind of uh, talk a, a little bit about some of those reasons uh, that you have found that we all uh, observe at times about uh, our educational system in Kentucky, um, and uh, what uh, I've often uh, thought and in conversation said to a number of people that 
one of the things that uh, Kentucky might be lacking is a, a good public relations firm or uh, president uh, or, or person uh, who really needs to sell Kentucky in a different way. And I'm not making any kind of political comment at all about uh, how well the governor does that uh, from east to west and in central Kentucky. But I do think there's the state offers so much to people, uh, residents as well as newcomers uh, alike. It just doesn't seem like people from the outside until they're here really realize that. Uh, we have such, unfortunately, a, a bad reputation, stereotypical uh, uh, Kentuckians and that sort of thing. Why, why do you think that is? What, what do you think feeds that uh, impression that some outsiders, if I can kindly call them that, have of our Commonwealth? You know, I have a really good friend who lives here in Pikeville. His name is Rusty Justice, and he's a historian. He's, he's an engineer. I don't know if you know Rusty. I do. Uh, but, but I've asked Rusty that question, and he's someone who's lived here his entire life. And, and his answer, I think, is wise, and, and it also provides with, us with some insight on this. Uh, Rusty believes that the only group of people that it is still politically okay to ridicule are hillbillies. He says, if you, if you try that with any other group, if you try to ridicule Catholics in the same way or Protestants, um, people of different racial or ethnic backgrounds, you're gonna be just immediately hit with the political correctness thing. But there's one group that everyone can come together and agree are all undereducated and foolish and that's hillbillies. I could not disagree more with that statement. And not, not Rusty's opinion, but the statement that hillbillies are backward. It, it just doesn't fit what I've seen. And so, you know, I'm not sure if that's a PR issue or if that is an even larger campaign about what, what's appropriate and how we speak to one another about our views and, and how far does stereotype go. Um, so it, it's complicated. Kentucky is complicated, but I've been to New York City and that's complicated too. I've met people in New York City who are just as backward as anybody you might stereotypically raised from Eastern Kentucky. And I've met people in high schools and in other places here who I would stand up with the National Merit Scholars anywhere else in the United States. This is, this is not a space that is backward. We just have a reputation that's that way. And you know, I think that sometimes that's the outside and sometimes we unfortunately carry that with us. And we may represent it to the world in ways that aren't necessarily helpful. So, you know, it, it's complicated. It's always complicated, uh, but that's how we have it. Tell me what you've learned about mountain wisdom. Oh, my goodness. So one of my favorite people in town is Charlie Pinson. I don't, I don't know if you know Charlie. No. Charlie, uh, he is a farmer. He is an entrepreneur. He is a, a broadcaster. And uh, Charlie has a way of saying things and a way of seeing the world that I think is unique. Um, his approach to people is an open approach. You know, he'll come in trusting first and then figure out whether or not he was wrong. And I, I think that's something about mountain wisdom that is, is really important. There is an open hand of friendship that is extended. And, you know, if you, if you can live in a way that maintains that trust, then you're good. If you violate that trust, then, then you got issues. But it starts from a different place than I think much of the world starts, which is a place of mistrust. So that's, that's one of the things that to me has been so winsome about Eastern Kentucky. 
Let's talk about the University of Pikeville and uh, what you found there uh, and uh, when you came. Um, uh, now it's been, uh, are you going into your seventh year? Is that correct? Right. Seventh year. Um, what you found, um, what your, your goals are, and um, what you're doing there on a daily basis. If, if you were describing, and I know you do a lot of recruiting trips and uh, you get out of uh, Pikeville to do that. I'm sure you travel uh, regionally for that. Uh, I first met you outside of Lexington at uh, um, a, a, a place where you were just beginning and, and meeting people. So what do you tell people? Uh, it's the old airplane question. You're sitting there and somebody says, um, what do you do? And you say, I'm the president of a, uh, uh, a university in Eastern Kentucky. And, and this person says, tell me about the University of Pikeville. What do you say? So I, I'm a storyteller by nature. And, and so that's, that's just what I do. And one of my favorite stories has to do with a, a person who is coming to Pikeville to um, consider starting a large business. And uh, he, of course, met with the city fathers and, you know, the, the city councilman and everyone else. And um, they they had a whole schedule planned for him on that day. And I was initially supposed to be part of it. And then we heard from his handlers that he only wanted five people on the team. And so the mayor called me and said, hey, I'm really sorry. We just we can't put you on the team. It was fine. No problem. I'm happy to do that. So they met. They went out to the business park. They looked at it. They loved it they started driving around the region and there were so many things that they said, gosh, we can use this. This will be great. They drove into town. And if you've been to Pikeville, you know that you come past the McDonald's and you drive around that curve. And the first thing you see is a nine story medical school. And, and, and I'm going to quote him because even though I don't usually use profanity, but this is, this is what he said. He turned to the mayor and he said, why the hell didn't anybody tell me there's a university in this town? When can we talk to that guy? <laughs> and, and the mayor called me half desperate and said, have you still got that time? I said, yeah, I had it reserved for you. Um, so they came up intending to spend 20 minutes on our campus and three hours later, they had agreed to move to Pikeville. So uh, that really describes the university. Uh, the university is, uh, it's the gem in the mountains. It is a place where you can come and be a, an undergraduate student who wants to pursue a degree in literature or history biology, chemistry, business, nursing, uh, or education, or you can come back and you can get your, your doctoral degree here and you can go out and be a physician or an optometrist. Um, and so it, it really is a wonderful mix of undergraduate and graduate education. There is only, so far as I know, one other university, anything like us uh, that is truly rural and truly educating students at all levels. So uh, I think it is a unique place. I think it is a place of incredible potential and I can't wait to see uh, where we go next. It sounds like that you emphasize uh, the humanities uh, discipline. Um, you mentioned um, history and, and uh, languages um, uh, as much as the sciences, as much as the medical school. Uh, talk to me about uh, how important it is uh, to be well-rounded as a student coming in uh, as a freshman or leaving uh, as a, a, a doctor, for that matter, uh, how important the humanities are to the University of Pikeville? You know, I was raised in the liberal arts tradition. Um, as, as you asked earlier, my parents were English, history, math, and science. So early on, I, I knew about the trivium and the quadrivium. I knew how those worked. I knew 
what we needed to do uh, to learn and to become a well-rounded person. That was drilled into us when we were very small. I went to college at Olivet Nazarene University, which is just outside of uh, Chicago. And again, it, it was drilled into us. You know, uh, we, we had to learn all of the disciplines. We took a wide variety of courses. The thing that, that I think was a little bit different from in my approach is many students come to college and they think, well, I've got to get this course out of the way because I really want to study A, B, or C. And my question at every registration was always this, well, who's the best teacher? You know, I, I remember my English professor, uh, her name was Dr. Shirley McGuire. And Shirley was widely believed to be the most difficult English faculty member on that campus. I signed up for freshman comp with her and I took every English class I could from her because she was hard and she made me a better writer. And she helped me to understand the world in very different ways. And uh, I was not an English major, I was a biology major, but when my wife and I sent out wedding invitations to faculty members, she was the only one who came. She drove eight hours to our wedding wow. uh, because she had such a profound impact on me. And I think uh, our interactions had made a profound impact on her as well. So the humanities and the understanding of, of what the humanities bring to how we understand the people with whom we interact, because that is the foundation of medicine. It's the foundation of, of the sciences. Even though the sciences have different tools for research, it's still that foundation because you have to understand the way humans interact and, and communicate with one another or so much of the research falls apart or doesn't give you the results that are the true results. They'll give you something that's shaded. So uh, I think that broad uh, understanding of the world, the broad understanding of human nature that is, is brought to us by the humanities, by languages, by psychology, and some of the other disciplines is, is so essential. Um, and, and we'll continue to emphasize that. I mean, right now, uh, one of the things that our folks are working on is a medical humanities major for students who want to, to major, to take the courses they need to go to medical school, but understand that the human condition is important for a physician to understand. So that's a program that I hope grows significantly. It's one that I've been very proud of our College of Arts and Sciences for developing. I'm talking with uh, Burton Webb, the president of the University of Pikeville in Pikeville, Kentucky. Um, we're going to take a pause here and uh, come back and talk uh, more about the university, uh, some of the students, and we're gonna talk about the, uh, the David Brooks uh, columnist, uh, New York Times writer, uh, uh, author, uh, and his visit to the University of Pikeville. Uh, coming up right after this word from another great university, Spalding University in Louisville. At Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. President Webb, uh tell me about, uh, if this is a fair question, about the typical student uh, that you see uh, that uh, is coming to Pikeville from 
from the region uh, and are you are you growing outside a my, my familiarity with Pikeville goes back many years and for a, a time you were I guess considered more of a a regional university and there's nothing wrong with that at all but you're you're uh, I, I just remember talking with someone about athletics at the time and there were a few recruits coming in from Ohio and from uh, uh, West Virginia and that sort of thing, but but basically they were they were Kentucky uh, boys and girls. Um, I know uh, for a fact uh, one uh, young woman who played, I think, on the volleyball team, and and she was from Lexington, so she had come. Uh, that's considerable uh, time to, to get there for that, but she loved it and she had a great experience. Tell me about the the, the students that you uh, not only recruit but that you want to have on your campus. So we're really a, a wonderful mix of local, local students and also students who come from all over the country. Um, right now, I think our undergraduate student body is between 55 and 60% student athletes. And that's, that's an intentional move for us. They are not all basketball and football players, though we do enjoy basketball and football. Um, but we've made an in, intentional decision to start what I like to call Olympic sports. They're the, some of the sports that are, um, we really kind of race in our, in our profile every four years when the Olympics comes around. So uh, we've had a, a national champion bowling team for a very long time. You know, they've won six titles, our women's team has, and that's, uh, that's all come titles. That's not just NCAA or NAIA, it's everyone. Uh, so when we talk about being national champions, we really mean national champions for our bowling team. Um, our archery team just came in second in the nation in a very similar competition. Um, they were 10 points away from the first place uh, slot. Um, of course, traditional sports are here too. So, but when you, when you recruit athletes, of course, you're, you're going to go beyond the local kids. I mean, we want to get all of the local students that we can get to come and play football and basketball and other things. But if you're really going to be competitive, you have to go beyond that. And, and some of our sports like bowling, I don't think our coach really recruits much anymore. He has so many students who send him uh, their, you know, their application materials because they want to come play for the best team in the country. It, it's a bit like Alabama, you know, he gets tons of people and, and I, Bobby kids me every year because he'll come in in February and say, well, I'm done with my recruiting. And I say for next fall, he says, oh no, for the fall after that. <laughs> so, yeah. Great, Bobby, I'm, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. That's a, that's uh, a, a good problem to have. It is. So it is a nice mix. You know, it, it's a nice mix of um, kids who are from here. And, and I say kids, but, you know, a lot of our students now are non-traditional age. Um, and some of the things that we've been able to do in partnering with the local hospital, Pikeville Medical Center, uh, to, to eliminate uh, any kind of loans that students might need to take for nursing, for example, um, have been really productive. And they've helped our local students uh, to come to college debt-free, which I think is a really important thing. So, so those have been good things and have helped us to recruit even more of the local students who want to stay. But it's a nice mix. And, you know, we, we parallel the nation in terms of um, uh, racial and ethnic mix. I mean, we have, you know, a pretty significant number of African-American students and Hispanic students, uh, many of whom are athletes, but not all. And, and so that's been a, a good thing and a good add to our campus as well. Dr. Webb, what are your challenges um, from uh, the presidency on down to the administrative 
challenges that uh, all colleges and universities are are facing these days. What what are the uh, the areas that keep you up at night? Well, you know, it, it's probably not the the typical ones that you would hear from most of my colleagues. I think most of my colleagues worry a lot about budget. Uh, they worry a lot about personnel. You know, we've been able to recruit some really fine people who have a very strong sense of calling to this place. And, and I have a wonderful team that I, I'm incredibly proud of. They do great work day in and day out. And that's, you know, from my administrative team right down into the faculty, we really do have a, a really wonderful set of folks who do great, great work. So I don't lay awake at night about that. The university is healthy financially. We're not, you know, printing money or anything, but we're healthy. And, and so I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, I think that, that when you think about the things that keep me awake at night, it's, it's really about where higher ed is going in the next 20 to 30 years. Uh, there, there is, has been for a long time and will continue to be a shift away from face-to-face -face higher education. Um, the residential model of higher education has got to change. And, and part of it is price-driven and part of it, I think, is just speed and experience-driven for the student. Um, you know, the traditional model of medical education will probably need to undergo some change. Uh, students today are far more interested, far less interested in sitting in lecture for 50 minutes, you know, or two or three hours. You know, they, they want to have the highlights and then they want to jump into to case based kinds of learning or problem solving based kinds of learning. And it's really what our, our public schools have been working on for a long time. It's just now bringing, uh, showing itself at the college level and university level. And so uh, we'll need to be adaptive and flexible for those things. Um, I suppose it keeps me awake at night when I hear politicians from both the left and the right bashing higher education as if it's not important. Uh, they wanna get students through as fast as possible for some reason without any uh, consideration of how long it takes a, a human being to actually mature. Um, you know, I, I, I ran into a really bright, wonderful young man um, a couple of years ago who was graduating from high school and getting his degree in nursing on the same day. And I thought to myself, do I want an 18-year-old standing at the side of my bed making life and death situations? He was a bright, wonderful kid, but I really don't want someone with that little life experience making those decisions. So I think there is something about time, and it, it does take time for us to, for our brains to fully mature and for us to be ready to do things. So whether that's living in a residence hall and, and encountering difference for the first time, or whether it's, you know, just, just working at home and raising a family for a few years, I'm, I'm not sure what the mix is and it's probably different for different people. Uh, but, but that keeps me awake a bit and, and trying to navigate what that might look like, what education will look like, what higher education will look like in another 20 years. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking and writing and considering those things. Kentucky Humanities is delighted to uh, to come to the University of Pikeville uh, soon uh, to um, see you in person, uh, to uh, spend some time on campus, and to uh, you're hosting uh, the uh, wonderful thinker uh, David Brooks. I hope you get some a little private time with him. Uh, he's uh, I think one of America's uh, great uh, thinkers and uh, uh, it has um, 
expanded his scope of of learning and and caring about people uh and he's going to be lecturing uh coming up we have information on our website about uh how you can get a ticket for that uh we are uh not charging anything for that and you aren't either uh it's a free lecture by david brooks what what does it mean to whether it's Harvard, uh, the University of Kentucky, uh, or, or the University of Pikeville, to have someone of, of his renown uh, visit Pikeville, Kentucky? You know, David Brooks is a public intellectual, and, and I think in the finest tradition has, has worked, though he makes a lot of commentary about political things, he's worked quite hard to stay close to the center. And uh, that's one of the things that we think is, is important and critical in this kind of a dialogue. Um, we have a lot of students on campus who are conservative. We have a few students on campus who are more liberal. And we like to have an intellectual come and have an honest conversation about things of importance that matter in the lives of these students moving forward. So to be, to be frank, when uh, Hannah first came to me and said, we're going to try to get David Brooks, I said, oh, yeah, right, David Brooks. And, uh, and she said, no, really, we, we think we have a chance at this. And would you support it? I said, absolutely, I'd support it. Go for it. See what you can do. Not really thinking that it would come to pass. And then we got the email. Uh, I don't know, it was about six months ago, perhaps, and said David Brooks was coming. I immediately called Hannah. I said, oh, my word. <laughs> so, no, we're, we're thrilled to have, uh, to have David here. We're thrilled to host him on campus. Um, I think it'll be a wonderful event. And I hope a bit eye-opening for him too. I'm not sure how much time he spent in central Appalachia. Uh, you know, we're, we're two hours from the interstate in every direction. So I'm just not sure how, how much time he spent in a part of the United States that is this rural and yet this populated. You know, well, we do have quite a few people who live here. I can't um, answer that for you. Uh, I do know that he's, of course, uh, well read and uh, I think he's uh, he will have done his homework. Uh, there's no question about that. He's also involved in uh, an initiative uh, through the Aspen Institute uh, that you know of uh, called uh, uh, Weavers. And um, he will be, I'm sure he will probably mention that in his uh, address uh, at Pikeville. By the way, that's at 530 uh, in the evening on February the 8th. And again, it's a uh, uh, come one, come all now. Uh, we do need to have uh, tickets. Uh, we do need to have your registration uh, at no cost, but uh, you are our host. So we need to, to be sure we have uh, the, the right uh, number of seats for people. We're all gonna be masked up. Um, if that's a, the requirement, we understand. And and social distance, that sort of thing. So it's going to hopefully uh, that we will have peaked by then uh, and uh, we're on the other side of this thing. But uh, David will, uh, I think, um, I've heard him several times and uh, he, he always, uh, uh, as you said, uh, his, his uh, stature as a public intellectual, but, but his, he just really makes you think and his books are, are so well-written and that sort of thing. Um, and, and we also wanna thank you for uh, it'll be the first um, celebration of our 50th anniversary at Kentucky Humanities. Uh, we're doing six events across the state. Uh, we, we will uh, be in, in several cities, not all of them uh, large metropolitan areas, uh, into some smaller cities too. And we're just uh, tickled to death to be uh, at the University of Pikeville. 
Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you, certainly thrilled to be the first, um, and we can kick off this party in a grand way. Well, we, we thank you so much, and I thank you for your time today. Uh, um, I have, um, I've been to Pikeville many times, uh, and I'm always, maybe I'll give you the last a few seconds to, um, to make a pitch here, because what I have told people, uh, friends of mine uh, in, in central Kentucky, uh, and in Western Kentucky, you need to go to Pikeville. It's amazing. Uh, you would not believe uh, the transformation that has taken place, I would say, in the last 25 years, maybe. I don't know. People would argue with me. Uh, a rusty Justice would say, oh, no, we've been doing this for 75 years. Uh, but what has happened and what's happened at the university, which has been uh, the real uh, anchor, uh, as that business person uh, discovered when he rounded the curve at, uh, at the McDonald's. Um, and I was there um, uh, before uh, the School of Osteopathic Medicine and, and the Optometry School and all of that. So I've kind of seen that. I can't wait to get back. COVID kind of put, the, put us on hiatus, everybody, but uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So so uh, to, to our listeners in other parts of just, let's just say Kentucky, uh, maybe the world, because uh, we're not, uh, 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 we, we have listeners from all over. Uh, what would you say about uh, coming to Pikeville and spending some time uh, on the campus and in downtown at, uh, at, at any a number of uh, places there? Well, every other year, we have the wonderful opportunity to host Leadership Kentucky. They, they come in to Pikeville, Kentucky, at least every other year. And, and I've been through their program and I sit on the board now for that organization. And I can tell you that to a person, everyone who visits Kentucky from that organization is absolutely blown away by what they see. Uh, you do not expect a small town in sleepy Eastern Kentucky to have eight and nine story buildings all along the main street. You don't expect it, but that's what we have here. And we have it here because people have invested, uh, certainly over the last 25 years, but I would agree with Rusty going back much further than that, in crafting a town that thinks ahead and in empowering the people who live here to be both creative and entrepreneurial. This is a great place to be. It's a wonderful place to live and to raise a family. And if anybody doesn't believe it, come and visit it. President Burton Webb of the University of Pikeville, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Think Humanities. It's great to be here. Thanks for the request. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.